So have you finished? Yeah. Like, how do you finish? Oh, this is so... No, I just didn't. Me too. Oh, I love that. I don't I don't really do much else with my life, Beef. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I was so... No, that's when people say, so... like, wow, you've been, like, reading a lot. And I'm like, I have that's code for not socialising. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Literary Cannonball, inspired by the work of The Stellar Count that reveals the ongoing gender imbalance in the conversations we have about books. Literary Cannonball is striving to correct some of that imbalance by talking about books written by women from around the world. I'm Kirby Fenwick and I'm joined by... Neve Marnie, string by day, editor by night and reader by nature. Yes, very good. And... Fiona Murphy. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited to have you here. How are we feeling today? A solid good. Solid good? Oh, wow. Yeah. Lovely. I'm sort of somewhat tired, but not as tired as I've been the rest of the week. Okay. That's an improvement. Yeah, exactly. On the up and up. Yeah. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) I actually think I'm getting a little bit sick. So, um, but that's fine. But you're just going to stay over there. That's right. I'm just going to stay over here and keep my germs to myself. That's how good a friend I am. I'm going to have a scotch or a whiskey later just to burn off any bacteria and I'll be fine. (laughs) That's how it works. Preemptive. (laughs) All right, let's get stuck into these book chats because I'm super keen to talk about this one. What is it to translate another writer's words? What is it to consume a translation? Taking as her starting point her own work in translations, Kate Briggs explores these questions and so much more in her genre-bending novel-length essay, This Little Art. Witty and thoughtful and with as many questions as answers, This Little Art is an original and layered discussion of the art of translation and perhaps of what it means to read and to write too. Fee, you brought this to the podcast. Why? Um, one afternoon I was on the internet and I was like, oh, these algorithms are really influencing what books pop up as recommendations. So mm. in a determined effort to go, fuck you algorithm, I spent <laughs> a lot of time kind of going on Googling threads to get to different nonfiction essay things and clicking on links I normally wouldn't have. So it was kind of like this hopscotch through finding, 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 looking, looking, looking. And I got a little list together of um, nonfiction books to read and write by women. And I have been well rewarded for that effort of procrastinating online because this was one of the books that I ended up buying and it's been an experience to read. What do you guys think of the book? I bloody loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was telling you before, Fee, that I was carrying around a, um, a grey lead pencil with me when I was reading it because I was just, I just was underlining things and making notes and... Um, it feels like it's it's much more than just a book about the art of translation because I feel like she's talking about why we write as well, like more broadly than just why we translate, but why we write. So there was so much of that that I really um, 
yeah, really sort of caught my attention and I kind of identified with a little bit as well. Like, because sometimes I think about why do I write? Um, yeah, I so think that's a healthy question to ask yourself. I think that's a healthy yourself. question to ask yeah. yourself. Why am I doing this? Um, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed reading this and it was really um, probably one of the most interesting things I've ever read about translation and reading and writing. So, yeah, which is probably a big call, but it is. I would have to hard agree with that because I feel like this was like a really lovely conversation with the page and I think that tone she had of asking questions and not necessarily answering them but Mm. kind of mulling on the page in this kind of uh, meandering way was just so comforting because she does kind of broach a few um, topics about kind of high literature or literary criticism or what is literature and stuff that I've always kind of like recoiled from because I don't feel like I'm learned enough to Mm -hmm. even get any of the theory and it's usually quite dense and dehumanized theory that this was like it was only like halfway through I was like god I've learned so much like this is like oh my god Roland Barthes is like really approachable now and he's like this witty nice guy and I would do aerobic classes and think about him and I was just like this is and maybe I want to make a table like just like there's so many like random thoughts in here that to I tried to sum it up to a friend and all I did was create a list of it's this and this and this and this and this and this and by the end of it she was like oh what what is it and I'm like I don't even know I don't even know yeah it's a very great book (laughs) what did you think Neve? yeah I've I'm still in the process of reading it because book depository gave me it a little bit too late (laughs) (laughs) um not being cheeky at all or maybe I ordered it late it might be my fault uh no I don't think so (laughs) 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 um anyway uh, I'm really enjoying it. I, yeah, there's, I'm really loving how much, um, it's such a masterclass of form following function and how, it, like, how she's sort of mirroring what she's talking about with how she's writing it. Mm. And it, like, in terms of how she's talking about Roland Barthes questioning and sort of how he's sort of, um, how his lectures are about asking questions and like sort of investigating <clears throat> and that's what this is doing as well and this is actually I had a thought when I was reading it that this is like one of the purest forms of essaying that I'd ever read in terms of like how what like essay actually means and you know how yes yeah yes. and like those classes like went through like oh what is the essay and they'll be like the French Asai or whatever the, whatever it was called and it was like to question and to like to investigate to explore I feel like that's at what it's at its heart is what it's doing yeah because I don't think that she um I absolutely agree with you mm-hmm. because to me reading it it doesn't feel like um Kate Briggs is settled on her opinions at the beginning of the book and in fact I don't think she is at the end either mm-hmm. and it did feel like this kind of ex- she asks so she there's so many questions at this and so many times she and en- she ends a section with a question 
and it's uh, that question stays with you as the reader and yeah. you're sort of trying to think about what your response to that question is at the same time as she's thinking about what her response to that question is and that was a part of it that I really enjoyed because I felt like I was with her mm. when she was like sort of wondering about these things and you know questioning herself and um, you know all this sort of historical context around translation and the people that she's talking about and yeah agree purest form I think and it's it was it's super engaging yeah exactly because I feel like the like this is a very general thing but I feel like the more masculine style of essay is to cut down or like even just writing is to cut down on questioning and to be sure Mm. to like not use the passive to like state your facts and state your intentions whereas this I feel as though it allows it's given room to double back on itself and mm. to return to things and it's a much more how I how like following a thought a non natural thought of process. Yeah. yeah. I actually wrote down, um, while I was her towards the end, I wrote down that sort of Flannery O'Connor thing I write to figure out what I think. Mm. And I almost feel like that's what Kate Breeze was doing with this. She was trying to figure out what she thought about translation and what she did and, and all the rest of it. And that's like the purpose of this book. Yeah. Which is really, really nice. Like, and I, I really connected with that type of... That type of... I mean, that style. Like, if... I would love to write something like this, to have this topic and wrestle with it in this kind of long-form way and not be afraid to not be sure and to have those questions and to second-guess myself and, um, you know, provoke something from the reader and, you know, not be afraid to to be messy on the page, which I feel like she's not. And that's, like, really awesome to see. Mm -hmm. I felt like she was such... um such a wordsmith herself that when she's asking those questions it isn't always an obvious statement with a question mark at the end but the way she kind of weaves in situations and ideas and fragments of other people's writing to come to these questions in lots of different ways so it it was always um not a train sound like the name (laughs) heard it wasn't that obvious but it it felt really exciting because um, quite quickly you understand that the form of the book is that kind of in the essence of a true essay of exploring ideas but how she gets to ideas is always a different pathway and it's Mm. very inventive and the kind of the prime example I think is when she discovers that Bath um, has some haikus that he's translated and she's like as a translator, I have to go back to the original source yep. before I can translate his French. Do I even have to do that? I think that's my responsibility. I should do this. So it kind of creates this little narrative section of yeah. where she goes back and then she realizes that she can't find the poem, the poem, the yeah. haiku at all. <laughs> and I was literally like, the amount of narrative drama in this. So I know, like, yeah. wait, what? Did, did he, he just make these up? Did he make <laughs> this up? And there's this like whole section where she kind of comes back to this haiku and again, and there's this really beautiful resolution of that sort of tangent storyline in this essay. Mm. But I was, I felt like I got so much out of her idea exploration of translation based of that 
based off of that one instance yeah. of her doing her due diligence mm. to check sources and yeah. it's I, I feel like reading this book has really changed my approach to writing myself in just um, permission is a wrong word, but kind of inspiration and yep. kind of sort of like what can what can an essay do and what should it do and what is the potential of it? Yep. So yeah. I feel like this book is definitely going to be a touchstone for me as mm-hmm. I go forth and continue to write essays because there's some exciting shit in this book. It is fresh. And yeah. the beautiful thing about the structure is that you can kind of dip in and out. You know, it's, mm. I mean, you've got these little, like, some pieces run on for, like, you know, two or three pages and others are, like, a line or two lines on the one page, which aesthetically, and we know how I feel about aesthetics, it looks really pleasing. Like, it's yeah. it's quite nice. Aesthetically, but also, but also impactful because mm. it's almost asking you to be like, hold this thought for yes, this think, time yes. and then move on. And yep. I feel like as a reader, I had a different rhythm to mm. reading because I flicked through originally and I'm like, oh, so much white space. Fiona's going to fly through this book. <laughs> but then I realized, no, 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 like that white space is Oh, deliberate and like you, you so need exciting. It, yeah. As yeah. a reader, you need it because it gives you that, like you said, it gives you that space to sit with an idea that she's thrown onto the page. Oh, definitely. And also, you can see that how she approaches her language is so considered, which makes sense since she's a translator. And every like sentence, even like the run-on sentences... They're quite controlled, but also there's a lot in them. Mm. And so sometimes I'd have to like sit with just one sentence and think about it and then move on to the next one, which is not usually how I read things. God, her yeah. grammar like, is just, oh, it's stunning. Oh, my God. It, it, how she can draw. It's both inventive, but also it's very readable. Yes. Which is such a hard thing to do. I can't, I'm in awe of it. I yeah, I would, I would do the same thing as you did of stop and reread sentences mm. and just be like, how did she construct that thought? Because I'm understanding her. I'm not meant to understand her because this is like high art literature sort of conversation. But I'm like, wow. But yeah. it, it, it is very... that conversation, but her style is not. I feel like like they, it mentions on the back of the book um, you know, witty and frank and funny. And she is. Mm. You know, there Very are much moments so. in there where I'm reading it and she's like, I remember I, something that I read like in the last couple of days and she's like, you know, she's talking about some, some important writer that said something and she's like, yes, okay. And it's like, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, I really love that because I don't think that um, you can put um, any artist on a pedestal where they can't be queried where they can't be questioned where what they have said or the work that they've done can't be uh interrogated and so that was a moment where i was like yeah i love this i love your um the the way she just she doesn't put them on a pedestal she's talking about some pretty impressive writers as well but she's just not prepared to um you know be in some kind of like awe or amazement of them constantly no yeah, and that's not how that's not productive as well. And I love how she would like she juxtapose like Roland, who she obviously is really like she values a lot, mm. and then would bring in like her son's Dragonology book as an example. Like yeah, or the Harry Potter. Yeah, and or Harry Potter. Like there's <laughs> there's just so much where she's just sort of like 
I just want to take in ideas. I don't really care that much. Like, the cultural capital is important, but I don't really want to engage with it in that way. Mm. Mm. I don't want to engage in that hierarchy of that. And I, I, was, I was like, mm, like mm. it. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think she actually mentions at some point where she um, she's quoting someone and how, like, they just referred to um, an author, like, by their first name as though they're a friend. And I'm like, well... Yes, she sort of yeah, she doesn't engage with that, and that's sort of mm. I like it about her, as because that's what I do as well. I found it really interesting how frank of a conversation there was about um, translation and the lack of income, and yes. I thought that yes. was really great because it kind of juxtaposed that sort of highbrow literature sort of thing, but really the people translating all these works are earning fuck all Mm. and what a disgrace that is because they're the ones shepherding the work to an audience who are going to pay for it whether it's from say French into English and just like that sense of that person is so undervalued Mm. and that work even though the responsibility is so high and the effort to do it and do it well and even if you do it and do it well you're going to do it wrong in kind of quotation marks because there is no pure translation at all which she explores really nicely with lots of examples of there's this really extended part of someone a translator being criticized for doing a bad job of translating and she really pulls that idea apart of what is a bad translation and what is translation full stop yeah because like how can it i mean language is such a complex thing there's no kind of like um it's not like there's a a word in one language and there's an exact translation that has the same sort of connotations and ideas in another well i mean maybe there is but not all the time Mm. and so it's an inexact science it has to be because of what it's doing Mm. so i really liked i liked that exploration of this is never going to be perfect and we just have to find a way to be okay with that oh definitely and i liked that this um a sort of not obvious but very present feminist undertone and mm. how she's approaching it and just in terms of obviously being quite upfront about the privileging of what translators choose to publish yeah. and how like the social sort of position that translate, translators occupy by dint of like not earning a lot. Um, the fact that the translator who got absolutely like ravaged by those critics was a woman, mm-hmm. and how the, the those critics went about what they did was quite gendered. Yeah. Um, I think she was really great in addressing all of those sorts of points as well, and I thought that was a really great way of. Yeah, it was good to sort of incorporate that element as well especially because like I feel like like editing um translating reads to me like kind of a feminized labor that is sort of very undervalued and not um not particularly understood very well yeah I'd agree with that and certainly undervalued I mean how it's I think it's only recently that they've started putting the translators on the front cover of the books and it still doesn't necessarily always happen yeah and sometimes i don't even there's like no mention whatsoever of the person that actually translated the work and one of the ideas that i found really interesting in this book was the idea that a translator i think it was the the woman that you're talking about neve um who translated thomas mann 
Mm. Um, and she was saying something about um, for her, the translation is never quite finished until she feels like the book is her own. Yeah. Which I thought was really, really interesting in terms of what is the role of a translator and how much ownership do they have over that book. Yeah. Especially because um, there's that little um, anecdote how she's talking to a friend and that friend is saying, well, I feel like I've read um, the author's work, not necessarily the translator's work. Mm. Like, I feel like that has been directly... And I feel, even though it's not literally true, I feel like that's how a lot of people will see it. Like, they'll say, oh, I've read Ferranti... Eleanor Ferranti. Ferranti? We'll go with that. It's fine. Oh, I thought you were trying to say Franz Kafka. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll just go with Kafka's work. Um, like, they've read their work, um, and because, as, as she sort of points out, because if you don't speak Italian or... Work, you've read the translation. You've read the translation, so that's as close as you're going to get. And I feel... I really agree with it, because I feel like when I was studying in German... And I read German translations. I was that was one I felt at m- the most disconnected to translations. Uh, so I do I do agree with her when she's saying the closer you are to the language, the more disconnected to the translations you feel. Probably because you may be more aware. Yeah, you're more aware of like how um, how it's operating. Whereas if you're not familiar with the original language, you just accept. Yeah, there's a yeah, there's sort of... You can't see behind the curtain as much, I guess. So you can just accept it at face value. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Um, you know, that idea of, like, connecting with the writing and being, like, identifying with it and feeling, like, some sort of um, relationship with the original writer. Mm. But you're reading it in translation. Yeah. And I was thinking about, you know, the books that we've read in translation, like Valeria Lewis-Sally and Hong yeah. Kong and, like, all these other translated books that I've read. And I've, like, felt um, some sort of a connection to that work. But there's a translator between me and the original writer. Mm. And it kind of complicates that relationship a little bit. But I hadn't really thought about... Like, I was conscious of it, of course, aware that I was reading a translation... But I hadn't thought about how that impacts on my relationship with the text that I'm reading and my kind of emotional response to that. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, especially because I think when we were talking about it, we alluded to it and we were like, oh, I wonder how it's happening. But we never really dug that much deeper into Mm. it. And I think maybe because we weren't sure how exactly to frame that. Mm. Whereas I feel like... Maybe. That's an interesting point, though, because with Hang Hang's book, we knew more about the translator. Yeah, so we talked about Deborah and her experience because there was articles about it and mm. media and she had opinions and questions and she was very much front-facing. So with Valeria Lucelli's work, the only section was that for the kind of the preface text, which was a really nice little essay in itself explaining how the book came into their hands, but there wasn't as much kind of informational story or kind of folklore around the translator, which I think is an interesting phenomenon in itself that the 
translators are now being interviewed a little bit more, mm. not a lot, but um, say with the man booker, it's a 50-50 split, yeah. which I think is increasingly exciting and complicates that relationship as a reader in a good and confusing and excellent way. Oh, totally good. Totally good. But like, yeah, super confusing as well because mm. you start to kind of almost second guess like. But Valeria Lucelli would be an interesting example because her latest book she wrote in English. Oh, so you could do no, a yeah, nice little yeah, sort of litmus yeah. test of is this uh, is she evoking the same feelings as what I've read her being translated. Mm, just, yeah, so I'm gonna have to do a little experiment. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I'm like, I just want to read the book, but you know, like if it's it convinces me to buy it quickly. Yes. Absolutely. I yeah. was thinking about Lydia Davis when I was reading this too because Kate Riggs does mention her a couple of times. And I think I've told you guys about this essay that I read um, in, I think it's in a Freeman's anthology, I think in the first one. Anyway, she translated, Davis translated this, um, this massive tome, I think it's um, Dutch. And she translated, was she translating it? I can't remember exactly the specifics. No, she was. Um, and this essay is about her experience translating the work. So she's kind of writing this essay as she's translating this book. Mm-hmm. And it's like super, super fascinating. That kind of insight into the... Just the sort of day-by-day experience of turning of, of translating this and wrestling with like the... The word choices, which Kate Briggs talks about in this book too, like how you take a sentence in this language and turn it into this language in a way that honours and respects the original but is makes sense in the new and can convey the same idea yeah. when there's often, as I said before, not a direct match. Yeah, I'm going to have to grammar. try and, Yeah, or the grammar, I mean... Or tense. Because when you're talking about, like, um, some European languages, they're quite gendered, aren't they? In a way that uh, English is not. And so that complicates it again. Yeah, and there are tenses. Some some languages have completely different ideas of tense. And yeah, that we, that we don't really, you know, mm. in, in the same sorts of way. We Yeah, the whole structures of those languages are quite... The, the thinking is quite different and the internal logic is really different as well um, I don't know, I feel like I there was so much stuff so many memories of things that I've read that just were brought up as I was reading this which was really pleasurable and nice mm. as well Like because honestly I'd kind of forgotten about how I had to write about um, all the ancient Greek classics that I read and just blocked it out well didn't block it out entirely (laughs) but like I forgot about how like how we because you had to write essays about them Mm. but because there were translations and the teacher was like you've got to remember these are translations so like we could write about the imagery of the work and like because these were basically like like literary essays we could talk about like how the images were working and what the author was intending and whatever mm. but you can't write about like the assonance or on my, like because this is a translation and you need to remember that yeah like um and i can honestly had completely forgot about that until i reread this i'm like oh yeah because i feel like 
you sort of just take it for granted sometimes when you're reading a translation like yeah this is this is basically the book whatever yeah <laughs> like you sort of just you just have to sort of buy into it but then when you actually like think about it and break it down you're sort of like yeah no this is this is a book in and of itself that is it's like a whole new book yeah. yeah it's not just a copy of the book in this language it's a whole new book yeah it's not like this is like just been like google translated and yeah then right appeared out of the ether <laughs> this is an entirely different work with a different author yeah and so yes. i think you so often yeah you so often forget about it that you need to constantly remind yourself like no this was a choice by a different person yeah and i feel like that line is increasingly but especially as you said Fee, when you don't know a lot about the translator and mm. that's really hard to sort of differentiate it's, yeah yeah i um was reminded of an experience whilst reading this book of i um, was translating a Dorothy Porter poem into uh, Australian Sign Language mm. and I had this time limit of having to do it within a week to then perform it and I was like, I'll pick a short poem. Like, you know, I got this. And then just staying in a hotel room for an entire week going, what the fuck have I done? Because <laughs> this is so hard and it was only like, six lines, very short lines sort of, but then to actually think of the words and the meaning and then to choose the signs, but then to incorporate the geographical location that we're in. So there was, um, Dorothy Porter was referencing like Australian streets, which are quite generally quite straight and narrow, um, like up and down. But we were in um, Jogjakarta in Indonesia and the streets were very kind of higgly piggly. Mm. So I was like, I kind of want to reflect what a street is here and not an Australian street. So like I had to change the sign of streets to kind of suit that. And all these like little intricate decisions to make along the way. And um, the poem is very much about the representation of women and gender. And I was like, I need to kind of incorporate all these other... It took flipping days and hours. And then by the end of it, I was like, man, I could have done that so many different ways. So many different ways. And I was like, oh, eight lines means nothing. Like the amount of work to like just get something done and to, I was quite conscious of rhythm choices to Mm. reflect the poetry. So the ordering and the speed of the actual signs, that's, I was very tired by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> I almost want to like go and learn another language so I can translate something. Mm. Which is like, I mean, is that a ridiculous reason to learn another language? Not at all. <laughs> well, I, I tr- ended up choosing German because I wanted to read um, Rilke's poems in the original. So, I mean, you can really choose any um, <laughs> any reason to learn another language. You translate just footy terminology for me, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a type of translation. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, a, I'm a big rap for this book. I'm so stoked that you brought it to us, Fee. Um, I'm, yeah, I, like you said, I feel like it's going to be one of those ones that I will refer back to and, you know, I've made so many notes and there's all these notes at the end as well and essays that I want to follow up and read and Mm. yeah it's it's been such a joy to read this book I am very excited to read more of the stuff coming from Fitzcarra 
it's Cardo editions. Yeah. Yeah. I'd actually heard about this um, and researched into this um, publishing house yeah, before, but I'd never actually read anything from them. So that was nice. I know nothing about them, so I look forward to doing some exploration. I just yeah. snapped this one up. And it took forever to get to me, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Same, but you know what? It's fine. And I mean, it's a really beautiful edition. Bass and... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the fact that it's uh, so white that it's almost impossible to keep clean. (laughs) Oh, mine is filthy. Mine is filthy and it's only going to get filthier, I think. Um, But that's fine. That just means, that just demonstrates my appreciation for the book, I think. Which is totally okay. Yeah, and loving grub. Lovingly grub it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two thumbs up from me. Yeah, yeah, massive two thumbs up from me. Um, yeah, same from me. There were just so many. I, I can't even. You'd need hours to honestly discuss every idea in this. In we haven't room. even talked about aerobics. Yeah, we haven't, right? talked, we haven't talked, about we aerobics. talked about aerobics. And that was one of my favourite bits in the book was <laughs> just was those great. aerobic classes. <laughs> um, and we haven't, like, there was stuff about your favourite line and how you identify with it and stuff like that. With Oh, and Eleanor Frente's thing about the how she. Um, was relating to Madame Bovary. That was a really great bit. There's so much in here. Yeah, the point is, there's so much in here and it's all so wonderful. And yeah, give yourself time to go through it. Because I'm one of those people who are like, yeah, I just want to do it in one gulp. You cannot do it. You can't. You You cannot, physically cannot do it. No. It's like your body is like prohibitive. Yeah. Like eyes couldn't even like continue to read because I just need to process what I'd already yeah I think you need that time and and that's um the only way to read it um but it's also one of those ones that warrants multiple rereads I think because it's kind of one of those books that you'll always find something every reading you'll find something new that you missed on the previous reads that I mean I feel like it's going to be one of those ones for me oh yeah definitely and I feel Which like is exciting. Yeah, and all of it is like it's sort of celebrating the subjectivity of reading and writing and how exciting that is, and that's great because I feel like fuck this whole like oh everything's so objective and there's an objective good and an objective bad. Fuck, fuck that noise. Throw <laughs> <laughs> that idea to the ground, sir. Yeah, love it. <laughs> I think that's uh. That's like just a sensational description of exactly everything that we do every month, I think. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Awesome. Two thumbs up to this little art. Also better. What have we been reading and watching and listening to that we want to give the two thumbs up to? I did the thing and you didn't do the dance name. Well, I was doing <laughs> well, in, a, um, in a weird position, but I did do like a head nod. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll let you pass. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you should have done the recording. That's what you should have done the thing. Uh, don't judge my social media. <laughs> I'm all over it. I'm getting great content all the time. All right. I'm super pumped to see what we're recommending this month and to share mine. Who wants to go? Me, first? me, me. Oh, someone's very excited. All right. Pen out, ready to take notes. Well, my first one 
is a podcast called The First Time Podcast, and it's produced out of RMIT University by two writers, uh, Kate Mildenhall and that I really let myself down a hole there of forgetting someone's <laughs> name straight away. Uh, Catherine Collette. I it'll, believe. It'll be in the show notes. It's fine. Yeah, it'll be in the show notes. And they do a, a podcast that comes out periodically and they talk to first-time authors or authors about their first time being published and what it's like uh, in the Australian publishing industry and their experiences of transitioning from working in the garret quite quietly to suddenly people asking them about their books and having to publicize their books and that sort of kind of very specific experience. And they've, in their second season of the podcast, they've kind of branched into the idea of the first second time, which oh. is a really cute kind of like, what is it the same experience when you do a second book? What the are the second similar? album? Exactly. Yeah. And they're really warm, friendly, generous conversations that they have with authors. Um, and I feel like it helps that, the two people who host the podcast are authors themselves. So the people they interview can kind of relate to and open up to a little bit more because they're quite frank conversations about, say, the finances of writing is quite low. And like <laughs> book sales can be up and down. And also um, that tenacity that you need to stick with an idea to see it through and what it's like to get feedback in the editing process. So it's, it's a really kind of nuts and bolts sort of look at publishing and they're really lovely. They just have a nice chats and it's really friendly. And every time it kind of pops into my feed, I'm like, yes, another first time podcast. Like, you know, that kind of joyous feeling that you get of like, yay. Yeah. It's like that day of the week that's not dull because I've got a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And the other podcast recommendation I have is Tender, which is a narrative Mm. personal journal podcast created by a Melbourne-based writer, Madison Griffiths. And that's T-E-N-D-E-R, Tender. And it's um, a personal journal-driven podcast of her experience of what it's like to leave an emotionally abusive relationship in the aftermath once a person leaves that sort of situation and the sort of ramifications and the spillover effect um, abuse can have on other situations. And each episode's about 15 minutes long or so. And she talks to friends and family members and other people who have experienced abuse or who have known her before and after that situation and they kind of offer like these insights and information of um, like one friend points out like yeah when I first met you you were quite reserved and shy and that's a very different Madison to the one that I know now post relationship and this is how I see you so it's it is a personal journal but it's a very inviting kind of personal journal space of getting different perspectives in and she's a beautiful writer so it's quite lyrical and poetic the way she phrases things and thinks about things and it's warm and generous so even though the the content can be quite um uh it's a big topic to explore and a very difficult topic to explore she does it in a way that's very inviting and you kind of feel like um supported along the way of listening to her story 
And the last recommendation I have is an essay by Annie Dillard called Total Eclipse. And it's like so new. It was like published in 1982. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, didn't, I didn't even realize when I read it when it was published because the time of when it was published doesn't really play into the essay at all because the emotions and feelings that she explores in this essay feel so pertinent and even possibly more pressing on the human condition now than perhaps when it was first published and it's opens with her and her partner traveling to see a total eclipse which I didn't actually know was a very specific experience opposed to a partial eclipse because this the, the sun is entirely covered and the temperature actually changes as a result and what you see and what you experience and what you perceive the universe to be is so very different when light is completely blocked out in the middle of the day and the crowd reaction to this eclipse is uh, I don't think I'm going to forget the reading experience of this quite a in a, for a long time because I was on a train and you know that experience where you suddenly realize that you're on the earth and the space and the sky above you and you just suddenly get that cosmic vertigo of like what the fuck is this and the universe and you feel very small and large and crushed and overwhelmed by the magnitude of life and death and time that I kind of got off the train at the station and I was just like <laughs> um, it's a great essay. It's really good. Sounds good. Oh, it's such a beast of a thing. And just really sort of gentle and inquisitive. And it leaves lots of space for you to have your own existential crisis. I can't even pronounce it because I'm... Existential. I'm frothing at the mouth that I can't say existential. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, my God. She's... But I definitely don't want to see a total eclipse now. Just the song's fine. We'll just stick with the song. Then. Yeah. yeah. I feel like my heart was eclipsed in this essay. I was like, <laughs> wow. Uh, I need to hold on to something steady. Yeah. <laughs> and eat some sugar. Awesome. Okay, who wants to go next? Do, I can just do like a power round. Like, you want to do a power round? Yeah. <laughs> uh, speed round. Oh, speed God. round of Rex. All right. All right. Let's yep, okay. stretch out. Do some stretches before we start doing recommendations. That's a good strategy. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> All right. First recommendation is a film a film called Princess Sid. Um, it's on Netflix. The basic sort of premise is that um, Sid is going to visit her aunt for the summer. She's just finishing up with high school. And the basic plot isn't really that mm, there's much going on. But... What I really loved about it is that it just, it doesn't take any of the easy, tropey ways out of how it possibly could have gone. Um, and there are sort of moments where I'm sort of like, should I be enjoying this when there's like nothing really going on or there's like, it, but it's just so pleasurable to watch because um, Sid is sort of discovering who she is and her relationships and her sexuality. And then um, with um, her aunt, there's what could be sort of like a kind of maternal-ish uh, relationship that's blossoming, but also at the same time, 
it's nothing like I've ever seen a maternal relationship represented in film before either. Like it's all about just sort of in respecting each other and respecting each other like engaging in life like for pleasure and respecting them um, and not labeling it I don't know I don't, I don't think I'm explaining it really well but it was just really lovely to watch and I'd recommend it all right moving on to the next one <laughs> <laughs> is um, I share at last by uh, Uzma Jalaluddin this was technically published last year but it was published here this year and because uh, it's Canadian um, basically the plot is kind of Muslim um, Pride and Prejudice but also Ooh. yeah I love it it's good it's, it's right I'm right in your wheelhouse <laughs> god it's so <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous um, but also a lot uh, more than that in terms of like there's a lot of points of view that's in get that are engaged and she um, both like she sort of uh, uses the different sort of Pride and Prejudice plot points but also at various points sort of just goes her own way and which was sometimes I enjoyed it sometimes I was like ooh okay cool cool um, but yeah, it was really lovely. It was just fun to read as well. Then, what's my next one? <laughs> God, I was trying to be so slick about this. Um, so our recommendations are never slick. I'm not sure what you're worried about. Yeah, it, they're just all painfully, painfully earnest. Um, <laughs> that is. Or all of us. I was going to say that's painfully accurate. <laughs> <laughs> like, we have zero chill about no, we have zero chill, but really that's good. Um, okay. Isn't it cool to be enthusiastic? Yeah, exactly. It is, <laughs> it is in my world. <laughs> um, and so then, third recommendation is Miss Martin's Incomparable Adventure by Courtney Milan. I've recommended Courtney Milan. Yeah, you have. That name is super familiar. Yeah. yeah, I love her and she's great. Um, and follow her on Twitter because she's awesome. Um, basically... The, this is a novella, so just a quick read, um, and it's part of like a broader series, but you don't necessarily need to have read the other books, I don't think. Um, basic plot is that this uh, woman who has coming, who's coming into like the twilight years of her life, has just been fired without a pension, and so she needs to like get some money, and so she goes to this other other woman who's a widow and who's quite wealthy. With the intention of just like trying to get like basically um get her to pay uh her uh, some money that technically her nephew owes her boss um which sounds super complicated but isn't actually uh just so she can take that money and go away and so she doesn't have to be like living in poverty mm. for the rest of her days yeah what happens is this like really lovely sort of like um, blossoming friendship and then relationship and it's so beautiful and it's so funny and both of the characters are so vibrant. Um, also having um, a romantic relationship with two older women is something yeah it's like you, you never see it and it's mm -hmm. never res done res like I don't yep. see it done respectfully and done well and it's so done well here it's great. 
Um, so yeah, have a good time with that. <laughs> um, they're both so sassy and they're both so funny and lovely and human and it's brilliant. Anyway, uh, so then the last one is called, another novella is called Can't Escape Love. Again, this is part of Border series, which I would recommend, but you know, you can just read this one if you like. By Alyssa Cole, who I've also recommended. Also recommended multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I really like these ones, you guys. You just have to deal with it. Um, so basically, the sort of the hook for this one is that Regina Hobbs, the main character, likes to listen to this guy's voice as she, to try and get to sleep. But the thing is that the guy who recorded it, um, whose name is Gustav Nguyen, um, has taken all of his sort of like voice recordings off the internet and so now she can't access them anymore. They've had chats before but then they had stopped doing that for a while but now she's sort of like I need to fucking sleep <laughs> <laughs> which relatable feels um, and so she contacts him and then that becomes a whole sort of spin-out scenario and it's really great. Um, how this book discusses fandom is really lovely, how it discusses disability and sort of engaging with that respectfully and w within relationships as well is really interesting and I found really helpful in terms of like sort of broadening my own perspective as well. Again, I really love these characters, they're so good. Regina's like just absolutely at the point in her life where she's just taking no fucking shit <laughs> like she knows exactly how to like articulate things she knows like what she's about and what she wants in her life and it's so refreshing it's great and then the um main like the male main character is just such a soft soft boy and i loved him was <laughs> 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 really cute and really great um yeah and so those are my recommendations. Very cool. Very cool. <laughs> that wasn't that quick, but I tried. <laughs> <laughs> all good, all good. Okay, I've got a couple this month. I've got um, two books and a playlist, Spotify playlist. Um, I'll do the books first. So the first one is Bark by Laurie Moore, which is a collection of short stories. God, it's um, so good. <laughs> loved, loved them so much. I raced through them. They were just, I just like gulped them down. And hilarious. So, so cool and like like funny but like weird too and like in the best possible way. Um, yeah, just really – I think that's actually my first Laurie Moore book, so a um, bit of a fan, so I think I'm going to need some more of her stuff. Um, and there is uh, – you know how the New Yorker do that podcast where they read out short stories and they get another author to read out the short story? Yeah. Mm. Um, there's a Laurie Moore short story that uh, I think an Irish writer reads out and oh. it is so – Funny. Okay, it's I'm really gonna, good. I'm going to find that. Um, yeah, it's a great book, Bark, collection of short stories. Um, yeah, highly recommend it. Not much else I can say other than that. Just, um, yeah, devoured it. Um, another book that I also devoured is Susan Orlean's The Library Book, which um, is, uh, is, I mean, it's ostensibly about the, um, I think it was 1980, I can't even remember now. There was a fire. There was a fire in the Los Angeles City Library, um, which was like, I know, right? Like, knees like hand on heart, like, me too. Like, it's distressing. <laughs> there was, like, hundreds of thousands of um, 
books and maps and, and other bits and pieces that libraries collect because they don't just collect books um, that were destroyed in this fire. And So Susan Orlean um, kind of starts with this idea and, I mean, it's not the only point of the book though. Like, yes, she's like, you know, following this like investigation and there was a suspect and there was all sorts of stuff going on around that. But um, it's also, she also talks about the history of libraries in um, LA and um, in America and um, the influence of, um, I think it's Andrew Carnegie on like library building in America and um, really, really fascinating stuff and how a lot of early librarians were women. Mm. Yep. That yep. history is so interesting. Yeah, a hundred percent. So it's really, really interesting across, you know, a whole sort of different range of things spinning around the idea of a library. Um, you know, in this particular like incredible thing that happened there. But also, um, you know, the construction of libraries and all this sort of other, other interesting stuff as well. And I really appreciated the end because um she doesn't fall on either side about the guilt or innocence of the guy that was accused of, of starting the fire. You know, she leaves it quite sort of like open-ended because she doesn't know and he has since passed away and so there's no way of knowing. Mm. Um, and I really appreciated that. Like that's just sort of leaving it open like this is where we're at. Like we just don't know, we're never going to know and that's okay. Yeah. So, yeah, um, really, really recommend. She's going to be in Melbourne soonish or is already here I'm not sure um yeah so there'll be a chat floating around with her hopefully from the Wheeler Centre so we'll um we'll just shoot that out into the internets as well and the last thing I really want to recommend is something that has given me so much joy this month it's the Guilty Pleasures playlist on Spotify which I do not feel guilty for loving <laughs> uh because there's so much nostalgia in that playlist for me um, in particular, um, Teenage Dirtbag. Oh. Um, just taking me right back to year nine school holidays in my friend's garage, playing pool, listening to that song on repeat until we knew it off by heart. But mm-hmm. there's like, there's so the many time gems. well spent. Absolutely. Yeah. There's so many gems in this podcast. If you are somebody that spent a lot of time listening to tunes in like the 90s and like early 2000s, as I did. It's just piece of joy after piece of joy, really. I just love it so much. There's some really good bangers from and that I, time. I oh, yeah. love that it's called um, Guilty Pleasures, but I feel absolutely no guilt for loving these songs and loving this podcast and the joy it has brought into my life. So I really wanted to recommend that one. <laughs> well, I guess us teenage dirtbags should wrap this up yeah what are we reading next month yes we are going to be reading lee kaufman's imperfect which i'm really looking forward to yeah i've heard some interesting stuff about it um and it looks very interesting the premise i think is really interesting so yeah can't wait yeah and this cover is a vibe yeah i mean we've got a bit of a sculpture there of um a female body but it's kind of chipped and it's missing and, and I love how this this rolls that's mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah really looking forward to that one yeah but in the meantime you can keep the book chats going on all of the socials find us on Twitter Instagram and Facebook and tell us what you think about this little art did you love it like we did we hope, mm. <laughs> we hope that you do yes um, or other translations yeah shoot us them because now i want to read all of them oh definitely i'm not sure i have enough hours that's fine 
it's just it's just it's just it's fun or tell us what you're reading watching or listening to we are listening we are oh fuck i can't speak anymore we're looking for all the wrecks <laughs> always looking for the wrecks um whilst you're on the interwebs please check out our website literarycannibal.com where you'll find a full wrap of the show notes and it's very aesthetically pleasing there's beautiful white space and images and (laughs) so many links so that you can open up dozens of tabs and really overload your computer (laughs) and make that battery work or that motherboard or whatever you call it and that's literarycannibal.com Really just burn your legs. Yes. Mm. Good good strategy. Yeah. Alright, that's us done. Let's eat the rest of those Tim Tams. Yeah. <laughs> God, obviously I need them. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what I thought that person looked like. And do you know what that's I do that for? No, yeah. Podcasts. Yep. You, you I get to know their voice and yep. I'm like, hmm, I'm nervous person. And yep. then I see a picture and I'm like, no. No, no that's not what you look like. Yeah, I wonder yeah. if people have that feeling about us. <laughs> <laughs> I look just as dorky as I sound. <laughs>